Well, so I'll clip back through the high points of last week. Uh, God does occupy himself with the affairs of mankind, we learned from the book of Esther. That's good news for us today. God is concerned about the nations and the world and what's going on. We learned that God directs the steps of those that uh, love him and are committed to him. We heard the, how Mordecai was at the gate, overheard the assassination attempt on the king. And uh, so that encourages us because no matter where you are or what's going on in your life, you can know that if you've surrendered your life to God, that your steps are being commanded and ordered. Though we may not understand, you may be happy about where you're at or sad about where you're at, but know that God is directing those steps and he's leading you each step of the way. And in time, you may see that, or we may have to wait until we get to heaven to see all of the picture of how our steps were commanded and ordered by the Lord. But we are confident in knowing that God directs and guides our steps. And by directing Mordecai, he preserved not only Mordecai and Esther's life, but all of the Jews. And then the third one, the third point was we talked about how Satan seeks worship of all, including the church. And Haman is such an example um, of, of, of that. And, and we, we finished by saying that uh, he was prideful. And we see what happens when a man's uh, pride uh, leads to uh, and gets power. When pride gets power, he sought to destroy all of the Jewish nation, to wipe out all of, of those who called on God and believed in God. And that's exactly like the enemy. Uh, the devil is out not only to destroy those who don't care about God or don't want anything to do with God, but he is, is, is desperately seeking to wipe out those who care about God. We need to understand there's a real enemy. And that enemy inside of each of us can rise up in terms of pride. And when pride gets power, it's so destructive. And so that kind of sets us up for this week as we move into talking about uh, part two of the book of Esther, Haman, the hangman. And I want to read uh, with you out of the book of Esther, chapter four, beginning at verse 14. If you can find your place there, Esther, chapter four, uh, beginning at verse 14. For if you remain completely silent, this is Mordecai talking to Esther, at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And I think that, I want to pause for just a second and just say that all of us are key in God's plan. He wants to use us for his glory. But I think this statement right here, and there are many others throughout scripture, remind us that God always has someone who will be obedient to him. And Mordecai is saying to Esther, if you're not going to obey God, if you're not going to petition the king for the lives of your people, God will send someone else. He will raise up another. This is your opportunity to obey God and to do what God's called you to do. He said, uh, again, deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in, in Susan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. 
It's important for us to realize in this story kind of a little bit of uh, the historical fact, and that was that people didn't just go to the king's court and just show up and decide they were going to have a meeting with the king. And uh, this, this could mean death to you if he did not reach his scepter out and invite you to come. And so Esther knew that, and uh, she was also a part of a recent events of story where uh, the queen before her, named Vashti, had been uh, banished from the kingdom, and uh, you know, uh, all, and with, along with all of her courtyard, because she displeased the king and caused uh, difficulty in the kingdom. And so she knew she was taking her life in her hands when she came to see the king and to stand there without being invited. Everyone who was in the courtyard had somehow, one way or another, been invited for a meeting for the king. Now, he may be able to see you that day. He may not be able to see you. But if he had invited you, you should be standing there waiting in line until he holds his scepter out and invites you to come forward. And he would have as many of those kinds of engagements that day as he could and whoever didn't get seen that day was supposed to come back the next day. But no one was supposed to be in that line who wasn't invited. And so that's why she said, I will go. Please fast and pray. Ask the people to pray. I'm going to do that. The women who are, are in my courtyard are going to do that. We're going to fast and pray. But I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. Tremendous courage, and it tells us in that instance about how courageous we need to be in coming to petition our King of Kings and Lord of Lords to come before God. And one of the wonderful things about it in New Testament Scripture, we learn that when we come into His throne, it's a throne of grace, a throne of mercy, that we are welcomed there and we are invited there. All of us have been invited. We don't have to wait for a special personal invitation of any kind. That invitation came for all of us at, uh, at the, from the very beginning of relationship. Come, let us reason together. God wants us to come into his presence. So now we're moving into the third uh, or fourth point of the seven that we want to go over. And that is uh, out of the book of Esther. God hears the prayers of his people. It's the genius of this text that shows us the way that God calls the church to pray. To touch the very scepter of almightiness. That God has invited us into his presence where things can be changed. You know, wherever you're struggling and, and whatever is going on in your home life and, and in your job and in the situations around you, no matter where you go in this moment, things can't be completely resolved by people that are in authority around you, no matter how genius they are. You know, whether it's, it's someone that, that the world would consider a genius like Bill Gates or, um, you know, any, any other person, those who are leading the CDC effort, the doctors and, and all of those people that, that others consider to be brilliant and smart can really bring no ultimate resolve to this current situation or what's going on. But you and I have the ability to go before the king who can really make a difference. Amen. We can go into his presence. We can touch his very scepter, the scepter of power, and God can make a difference on our planet, 
on the earth, in your circumstances, in your marriage, in your life, wherever it is. And the genius of this text is God is showing how he wants to have this engagement with us. How welcoming the king was when he saw Esther in the courtyard. And he smiled and he held his scepter out. Come, I want you to come and to bring your petition. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you're concerned about. I care about what you care about. I want to know what's going on with you. And one of the things I think we forget is that, that God has invited us to prayer and he does nothing except an answer to prayer. It is God's decision. It was his own choice to make things that way. And he has invited us to come and to petition him. And that the whole world right now is, is, is uh, awaiting the hand of God to move. But God is awaiting the prayers of the saints. Those who will come before him and ask for him to be involved and engaged in, in their individual circumstances and in the circumstances of our world. As we have encouraged you through these last several weeks that we are praying for our nation, we are praying for our world, we are praying for locally, local governments, we are praying for our own home and our community and our schools and, and all those who are around us. The scripture said that when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, the king, he was pleased with her and he held out his gold scepter that was in his hand and so Esther approached and she touched the tip of the scepter. So people who flippantly with their remarks may say, why doesn't God do this or why doesn't God do that are ignorant to the fact that they have not even invited God into, into their lives and ask Him to engage in the circumstances of what are going on. Now the very first prayer that God wants to hear from all of us uh, who, who may find, find yourself as an unbeliever and, and not in relationship with God, the very first prayer He wants to hear from us is a prayer of surrender to Him to his lordship, asking and inviting him to be the Lord and the leader over our lives. It's one thing for me to invite God in the circumstances uh, of the world and the, and the situations that are going in. It's another one for me to invite him to be leader over my own life so that things can change for my home and for me and the circumstances of my life can be different. You know, we when we are on, on the side of things that we are uh, erring in the sense of, of trying to um, rule and run our own lives. Uh, we are always falling into to patterns that are destructive for us. We are giving over to pride and, and, and surrendering ourselves to that. But when we surrender ourselves to God and we let Him live through us, He crushes the pride and we live differently, not arrogantly, but gracefully and lovingly. He told us that we have what we ask for. We experience um, what we experience by forfeiting, uh, asking and inviting God into the circumstances of our life. You get nothing, he said in James, because you ask for nothing. I want you to ask for something. I'm here because I want to engage in your personal circumstances. And, and, and God invites us to do that. And so the, the first thing that we discover is that God hears the prayers of his people when we call out to him. The second thing that we see in the book of Esther, or I'm sorry, the, this will be the fifth one. The fifth one that we see here in the book of Esther out of the seven that we're looking at, people without God are without hope, without meaning, and without purpose. 
There's no better picture of this than in a passage of Scripture uh, found there than, than his wife Zeresh, speaking of Haman, and all of his friends said to him, Let a gallows be made fifty cubits high. In the morning, suggest that the king, suggest the king that Mordecai be hanged on it, and go merrily with the king to the banquet. Haman had come home. He was very discouraged because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him and, and treat him with all this kind of respect. Pride had risen up in him, and he brought this problem home to his family and friends and invited them around. He spent a little bit of time telling them how great he was, how worthy he was of all of everyone's praise in the kingdom. And, you know, didn't he have the nicest house and the greatest family and all of this? And shouldn't everyone, because he's side by side with the king, shouldn't everyone reverence him and bow down to him? If, when he walks into the courtyard or walks into any area, people should recognize him. And then he brings this problem home and his wife has a suggestion. Then his wife, Zeresh, and his friends said to him, let a gallows be made. It's interesting to do a word study on his wife's name, Zeresh. Zeresh means misery, strange, dispersed inheritance. There's no clearer picture for us of the misery and loss of meaning in life than Haman and his family and his friends. We see in this a picture of people without God are also without hope. Yes. They're without direction and they're out without purpose. Yes. No title of nobility, amount of wealth, collection of material possessions, or power and prestige can cure the emptiness of a life being lived without God. And so we see in this that People without God are without hope, they're without meaning, they're without purpose. They're living a life, ultimately, that is meaningless. It doesn't matter how much we acquire, how much we have, uh, what's around us, because there is no legacy beyond that. There's only what's in that moment. Yeah. And the, the sixth thing that we learn from reading in the book of Esther is that when the gallows of Haman are set in place, the church must take its place and touch the scepter of power. When you and I see the end times and we see what the enemy has created for the destruction of our planet, whether it's this virus or it's the division that's happening in our own nation where we wind up being 50-50 on political scales and greatly divided about issues, we see the hangman's gallows being built. We see what the enemy intends to hang us all on, what he intends to destroy our lives in. And God says, when you see that, it's time for you to call on my name. Because I want to flip the tables on the enemy. And the very ones he sought to hang, he's going to hang on those same gallows instead of them. God wants to turn the tables on the process. In, in Esther chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, it says, now Hebanah, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows fifty cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. 
And then the king said, hang him on it. Hang Haman on it. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that were prepared for Mordecai. And then the king's wrath subsided. Everything changes when God's people pray. Everything changes. First of all, our perspective. Our perspective changes. The way we are looking at life right now, very fearful that these things are, are big. The mountains are big. The economy, uh, the destruction in our economy, the virus, all of these things seem so large. But when we get into the courtyard of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, everything begins to take on a new perspective. We see the bigness of God. We see the holiness of God, the power of God, the mightiness of God. And then we look down on our circumstances and they don't seem as large as they did before. When we magnify him and see him as he is, all the things that are around us begin to take on a new perspective. We see them differently. Our attitudes change. Whenever perspective changes, our attitudes change. The way we see things changes, then suddenly the way we're acting changes. We're not as anxious. We're not as fearful. We're not filled with doubt. We suddenly begin to have different attitudes. We have a peace within us. We have a, a sense of, of, of purpose and mission within us. We start seeing opportunity rather than, than seeing the difficulties and the challenges that are in front of us. We start seeing ways that we can help and ways that we can encourage, ways that we can see uh, the society benefit and, and lift it up. Whenever our perspective changes, our attitude changes. Then our behaviors change as well. We start acting out differently because our attitude is different. And we always act in accordance with what our attitude is. And when our attitude is, is, is more positive and our attitude is more uplifted, then we begin to act out of that. And the behaviors are not fearful, they're not hoarding, they're not trying to keep everything we have, but they're, they're giving and loving and, and a part of, of being a blessing to those that are around us. And finally, with all of that happens, your, your perspective changes, your attitude changes, your behavior changes, guess what, your circumstances change. You start looking around and recognize that the circumstances that you're involved in are changed. Your economy is turning around. Your uh, relationships are turning around. Everything is starting to turn, turn around as a result of us coming to God and praying and petitioning Him. And the last one that we learned from the book of Esther is that we do not leave the king's presence the way that we came in. And I love the way this story uh, comes to a conclusion in uh, near Esther chapter 8, verse 15. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad, the Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. And then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. 
You can never leave God's presence the same way you came in. You are changed forever. You're changed forever by coming into the presence of God. In the stories, in the early story of Pharaoh, his heart was hardened by the presence of God that he rejected. People will leave the presence of God harder because they've rejected or pushed away. There are the stories in the Bible where people welcome the presence of God. Their hearts were softened and changed. All of their circumstances took on a new dimension because they welcomed the presence of God. God has called His church into His presence. And here's how we've arrived in the time in which you and I lived. He's summoned us to come to His courtyard and to be there. And we've come courageously and we're standing there this morning. But we've come, some of us initially came into the courtyard fearful. We came in full of worry, anxious about everything that was going on. We carried doubts, if we're perfectly honest. It looked too big for God, the situation and the circumstance. And so we brought doubt, but we came anyway. And we were, many of us, self-focused, trying to think about our own families, thinking first about how we would cut the budget in our own economy, our families' lives, and our own circumstances. How are we going to pay the house payment? How are we going to pay the car payment? How are we going to get groceries? We were very self-focused. We arrived in His presence, and God has done a transforming work in us as we have invited him to. And if you haven't done this yet, I want to invite you to welcome the presence of the Lord. Let's just take a moment to do that right now, Lord. We welcome your presence. We know we're going to leave here differently, Lord, than we came in. And so we welcome your presence. In Jesus' name. We're going to exit this 2020 crisis Having come into the presence of God, we're going to exit filled with hope. We're going to leave recalibrated for His mission. We're going to leave empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the things He's called us to. We're going to leave here faith-filled. We're going to leave here more Christ-like. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be Christ-like. We're going to be more Christ-like than when we came in. When we came in, we looked a whole lot more like the rest of the world looks. But as we're exiting the presence of God, we're looking a lot more like Jesus looked. We're walking out of here full of faith. I want to invite our worship team to prepare to come. You're a king's kid. You're a king's kid, and God's inviting you to come into his presence. To be forever transformed. The story of Esther is a picture of anything at all. For us today and in this moment, it's a picture of God inviting, sitting on the great throne, ruling over all the universe, inviting his kids. Come on. Come into my presence. You're welcome to come here. When I see you in the courtyard, I'm going to hold out my scepter and I'm going to invite you. And I alone can make a difference in your circumstances. I alone can make a difference in your world. We're calling on God today for our nation and for our world. 
We're calling on God today for your personal circumstance in this situation, for where you are and your family find yourself right now. We're calling on the name of the Lord because He alone can make a difference. He alone can transform uh, the circumstances of your life and remove you from a place of being and feeling like a victim to being in a place of being a king's kid, taken care of, watched over. David said in, in Scripture, uh, the kind of summation of his life at one point, he was looking, he was an older man at this point, thinking through from a young man being called by God to be the king of Israel, thinking through the battle that he had with Goliath, Maybe even before that, rolling back to when God delivered, he was a shepherd boy and God delivered, used him to deliver his flock from uh, a lion and from a bear. And then again, the Philistine, the great Philistine Goliath, how God helped him defeat him. How David was at one point running from the king of Israel, Saul and his life was in jeopardy to being the king of Israel and leading forward the armies of Israel. David thinking through his failures and mistakes, the situation with Bathsheba, and all of these circumstances of where he was great for God and where he failed. And in the summation of his life, he said, you know, I was young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. He lived out what God has always promised, that those who belong to him, he takes care of, he watches over. So whatever the circumstances are of your life, we can trust God today, we can believe him. He's gonna take care of your circumstances. He's gonna watch over your life. And so I want to take a moment for us to just enter the presence of God and bring him all these petitions. Lord, we bring you our nation, our national leaders. We pray for them, God, that you would divinely influence. We're in the king's court and you are the one that can make a difference. And we're inviting you into the circumstances of our nation, oh God. And Lord, into the circumstances of our world, worldwide, God, this virus has shut down economies. This virus has has uh, taken lives and it has inflicted people, Lord, with a sickness. And we invite you into their circumstances and invite you to make a difference and to change our world, oh God. And Lord, locally here, we invite you into uh, the, the communities of Round Rock and Lord of Austin and, and uh, Cedar Park and Hutto and Taylor and Georgetown and all of the surrounding areas and Leander, God, we invite you to make a difference, Lord, in the, in the communities and in people's lives. And Lord, we invite you into our homes and into our lives personally to bring and make a difference in us, oh God. And as we worship you and sing today, we lift your name higher than every other name and know that you alone are empowered to make a difference, Lord God, and we invite you to and ask you to in the mighty name of Jesus.